Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This week we have Rick Galan in the his house. What's up? Hey Rick, man. How are you? Rick, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> you don't I'm, like that? I'm afraid not. <laughs> Hard too bad because I really like that. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, Rick Galan is the head of digital marketing at Qualtrics. Uh, this is also the second time he's been on the show. The first time was January 2017, so it's been about two and a half years, uh, which is about two years too late. We should we should we have should you on every like, half year in increments? every half year. We That's should right. have you on. <laughs> I'll book it, uh, Rick. First of all, I'm really happy you're on the show. Thanks. I I think that you are a thought leader in the in the industry as well as in our area. I've never been to a Utah based event that you haven't been to. That's kind of sad. Uh, <laughs> it's, I'm saying yeah. it out loud. That's kind of sad. The last, I, I think the last one I saw you at, and I don't go to a, a ton of them, but the last one I saw you at was uh, Tech Summit. So you were at Tech Summit. Yeah. Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. Yeah, I was there. And, uh, and I ran into you and I was like, you know, you're the first person that I look for. Anywhere I go, I can't, I, I don't get comfortable until I know Rick is there. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, so for, for those of you, and, and there are probably a few of you who are listening who have never heard of Rick's name, but. I'm sure most of you have. Rick, uh, will you just take a few minutes and give us a... Last time you were on, you were also at Qualtrics, so your job hasn't changed, but you have a long history of experience in digital marketing. Why don't you just take a few minutes and we'll we'll just interject with little tidbits as they enter our minds. All right, so you just want me to run through the history? Real quick and make it as interesting as possible. Oh, good. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> uh, it's not that interesting. Uh, I started... Uh, digital marketing in like 2006. I uh, I joined uh, Overstock.com back in those days uh, and kind of an entry level job doing paid media. Um, stayed there for about two and a half years in a number of different roles. Uh, Were things at Overstock as bad then as they are now? Uh, honestly, I think they might have been worse then. Wow. Yeah, like. It, it's hard to tell from the outside. Yeah. It's real hard to tell from the outside. Uh, but they were... Or from the inside in an entry-level position. Yeah. It, Overstock is a wonderful place to get your start uh, because like, I came in with basically no marketing experience and was handed some small programs and then in four months was handed paid search. Uh, and in a company that makes a billion dollars a year, paid search is a really large program. So I What got was to the do budget some, back then? Um, I honestly don't remember. Uh we drove about $400 million of revenue. That's um, awesome. So a couple hundred million dollars of budget, I would imagine. That's so cool. Uh, and so like you get to learn at scale and like every test you'd run was immediately significant, right? Because you have just enough volume to work through. So that was really great. Was that overwhelming managing that much budget at that early in your career? Not really. Cause uh, I've, I've, so I used to manage paid search at Vivint and I was uh, trying to hire a manager to take over the, the, kind of day to day and one guy I really liked and he took himself out of the running because he didn't have experience managing that much budget and was was like nervous about mm -hmm. it that's pretty funny uh and honestly like I didn't know any better frankly yeah, okay. I'd never run small business paid search so you're like 200 million is that a lot yeah like it's just like okay neat uh Google's coming <laughs> to the office cool they brought me a lava lamp neat right like it's like what well, that's kind of how I approach do you it. still have the lava lamp? I do still have the lava lamp is it on your desk at work no it is not it's in your basement in your man cave it is in okay. my basement <laughs> all right uh yeah long-term storage kind of <laughs> I uh so like the, the thing is, is that like paid search is different when you're doing it at scale. And so like all I learned on was how to do it at scale. 
right? Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. learn how to go into the channel and make these tiny little edits on individual things because it wouldn't have made a difference. So we, we did everything like programmatically in large. Uh, and so like the budget itself becomes just, it's just numbers at that point and the numbers of the numbers. It's not, it's actually easier. Um, there is complexity that most people don't have to deal with, like products that are coming in and out of stock and things like that at, at scale. That's very complex and difficult, but yeah. actual managing of like keyword bids and stuff like that, it's all algorithms at that point. You don't do anything manually except for a handful of keywords at the top and the bottom. So, And when you have that much volume, it's a lot easier to, to run through different tests. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, so we would, we would do like, honestly, the hardest thing was things like, like the account structure because account structure made a big deal, made, made a big difference back then. Uh, on, on how efficient your paid search was. And so restructuring an account was a several month project, mm -hmm. right? For multiple people just in there cranking because there's no way to automate that other than just spreadsheet work, right? Uh, so generally like like we, we would do all, all, we would automate things like bidding and ads pausing and starting based off of, uh, based off of inventory and stuff like that. Um, we had to build some custom hooks into our own databases in order to handle that stuff. Um, kind of started into the data feed marketing uh, where we were building product lists and sending it to our own systems. And then we would do that also to like frugal at the time because Google shopping was free back then. It's good times. Um, yeah, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> and so like, like, it's just, it's just a different job than paid search for, you know, somebody that spends a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. It's just a completely different job. Anyway, so overstock, I did paid search. I did conversion optimization. I did SEO work there. Um, oversaw a dev team, rebuilding parts of the website. I kind of bounced around within the organization for a bit. And then I moved on. I actually worked for a Seattle SaaS company that made comparison shopping channel and Amazon software in order to help e-commerce players uh, list their products and optimize their products on those channels. Uh, that company has since been bought by Big Commerce. I think the company's called Mercent. Uh, it's been bought by Big Commerce. Uh, I left about three years after uh, building up kind of their search practice and working on their uh, paid search products. And that um, was local here? No, I was, it was actually in Seattle. I worked remote for about three years. Oh, okay. Um, then the remote thing kind of got to me. Like I wasn't really able to do my job as well as I had, as well as I could when I started. The company had gotten bigger, got a little more difficult. And so I wanted to look for something remote or uh, not remote, I mean, and uh, ended up finding a role over search marketing holistically at 1-800-CONTACTS. And so- Are we in the early two t 2010s now? We are, yes, we are about 2011-ish. Okay, so 2011, you moved maybe. to 1-800-CONTACTS. To yep. Running all their digital. No, no. Uh, at 1-800, I all was their over- Organic. Organic and paid search. Oh, okay. And affiliate marketing. Um, so built some built the team there because they, they didn't really have anybody doing any of those things at the time. So built up paid team and an organic team uh, and affiliate team. Uh, after a couple of years, I uh, got an offer to oversee all of digital at Blendtec. Uh, makers of fine blenders here in Orem, Utah. Uh, and uh, I took that role overseeing their whole digital program. I was there for a couple of years and then Qualtrics came a knocking. So I know Blendtec was a 97 floor client. They were. Was that overlapping with while you were there? I hired them, I think. You did? Yes, I, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know. 97 floor is just a blip on, on Rick's radar. Well, I've hired 97 floor a couple of times in different roles in the past. I've also hired other agencies. Yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I was there when 97th floor won the award for the Buffalo wild wings, uh, recipe, whatever it was. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That, that was, was, that, that was a campaign we ran Yeah, an infographic that we ran with 97th floor. Uh, that was my team was working on that. That was, was for Blendtec. Mm-hmm. 
What's, what was the relation, I guess? So we like a lot Buffalo of Blentex, uh, a lot of Blentex uh, traffic is recipe traffic and like mm. how to use this really expensive fancy blender to make cool things. Uh-huh. And we Buffalo Wild Wings recipes, we did really well. Interesting. With, uh, so what about their wing what, what about the the series that that uh, they just destroyed crap in their blenders? Will it blend? Yeah. Yeah. Are uh, they still doing that? They are still doing that. Because from what I heard. Uh, they didn't like that, but because it was so popular, they almost felt compelled to do it. Um, if that was the case, that wasn't the case while I was there. Uh, I mean, that started in like 07. Oh, so it, they've been it's, doing that a long time. Yeah, they've been doing it a long time. Like YouTube had like just barely been bought by Google when they started yeah, doing seriously. that. Like, so like that, they've still do that, although less frequently than they used to. Uh, pretty much whenever any new Apple device comes out, they uh-huh. blend the thing. Yeah. I, when <laughs> I was there, the we blended up the iWatch, the first one, the first generation. Uh, honestly, took a good couple of hits with that blender before it pulverized. Pretty <laughs> tough. I'm not going to lie. Dude, I that would be really hard for me to put something like that in a blender. It's, it wasn't my iWatch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know because it's not called an iWatch. So. See, that's, <laughs> that's true. It's the Apple Watch, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... so uh, uh, hey, real between quick. One, yeah, go ahead. During your time there, was there anything that didn't blend that just didn't make it to... Uh, the airwaves. There have been a couple of things that did not blend. Uh, oh. I think, I think a piece of rebar. Somebody tried to blend, <laughs> and I don't know who thought that that was going to work. <laughs> but that wasn't while I was there. Uh, I also know while I was there, everything blended that they tried. Uh, but I also know that they uh, had to take down their video of blending up like a Chuck Norris doll. Uh, there was like jokes about like like the Chuck Norris doll wouldn't blend because Chuck Norris, right? right? And like Chuck Norris's lawyers got involved when they posted the video originally, so they had to take that video down. Saying it's hate speech or something? Yeah, no. I don't know. No, it's not hate speech. It goes against their brand. Yeah, you know, Chuck Norris <laughs> blends for no man. Right? Yeah. Like, you're, inc- <laughs> you're, you're inciting violence by yeah, I don't know. Uh, ripping up a Chuck Norris doll. But everything that they... I mean, I've watched the the guy, the owner of the company, the guys in those videos, name's Tom Dixon. Like, I've watched him take a two by four and turn it into sawdust in like four seconds with that thing. Like, it's pretty amazing, dude. That yeah, that is pretty cool. I I feel like I want to spend more time there, but also feel like we should move on. <laughs> Do you have a Blendtec? Of course. All right. Do you, dude? I want I one. Discounts, man. <laughs> like you have it from when you worked there. Yeah. Yeah, they're too expensive. I can't justify that. Yeah, it's a seven hundred dollar blender. I I'm not gonna buy that. that. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> My mom's got the $1,600 one that is like silent. <laughs> For an extra $800. <laughs> it makes no noise. While it's blending? Yeah. Like you put a two, two by four in there and it's like. Well, it's got like, it's got like a hood that comes down and just makes it com- almost. almost. Oh, com- it's so. Oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. That's, like the, that's like the industrial one. Yeah, except they make a, a home version of it that's just ridiculously expensive. But otherwise, it's the same. $1,600. Did you get her a, a deal oh, on that? Massive. Yeah, massive. massive. You got to do a lot of blending to make that worth it. Yeah, and what's interesting, which I didn't know until, I guess it's been probably a couple of years now, but uh, uh, they keep, tra- like, I, I own a blender. Probably everyone, you have a blender? Yeah, everyone uh-huh. has a blender. We've all, we, if you <laughs> got married, you have a blender. <laughs> Does your blender uh, track how many hours you're, uh, you've been blending? Nope. Yeah, Blendtec has, a, like, odometer on their, not an odometer, it's like a tachometer. Does it have an app, though, where you can start it and stop it remotely? Oh, that's what it needs. Are you the one that got the smart washer and dryer? Yeah. So dumb. That's, that's how they all are now, though. So It's just dumb. like default. It's like you get a notification when your laundry is dry. It's like, oh, yippee. <laughs> well, anyway. I rush home and pull those shirts yeah. on. <laughs> yes. What I want is an app that will put my clothes in, transfer it to the dryer, and then go fold it in my closet. Yeah, I think you're looking for a maid. 
Hey, there's an idea. I'm <laughs> just saying. That's, that's a housekeeper, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a wife. Oh. oh, oh. It's okay. My <laughs> wife doesn't listen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, moment of silence for that. Okay. So from Blendtec, you went to Qualtrics. Qualtrics. Yep. Okay. And you've been at Qualtrics for a long time. Yeah, like three and a half years. Have you been at a job longer? No. This is my longest stint so far. Oh, okay. How much longer are you going to be there? Uh, I don't know about I'm just kidding. I have, I, I have no plans. Do you have stocks or um, whatever they, they call that? RSUs, restricted stock units. Yeah. yeah. Restricted meaning you can't have them until a certain something happens. Oh, they vest. Like, and you're so not vesting like a vesting yet. cycle. Did I'm you get them when SAP purchased or you got them before that? No, I got them before that. Oh, okay. So you'll stick around. Yeah. I mean, some things from my, like initially being hired on, I have a grant that I was issued when I was hired and then I got promoted and halfway through and I got a grant then as well. And some of those are still vesting out. Mm, they know how to keep their people. Cause you, I feel like you've got to be at like a highly sought after guy. Do you get hit up by recruiters? Like do people say, Rick, come work for me? Yeah. I feel like they don't read the profiles super well because I get hit up by recruiters to be like, Hey, we need somebody to be a manager of paid media. And I'm just like, I, that's nice. It's a bit of a step down, yeah. so I'm not yeah. super interested, but thanks. But Well, you know, they have this mentality where if you don't ask, you don't know. That's, I guess that's true. Uh, someone could be miserable at their current job. Yes, I will do anything. I will go work <laughs> at... Anyway, no, I mean, I get hit up fairly frequently, because it, especially when Qualtrics hits the news really hard, right? Then people start looking at us and trying to poach our people. Um, and we've actually lost several people since the acquisition, uh, as you imagine, because people got paid, and then they're looking for the next step totally. in their career, right? Um, but yeah, I have no plans. Okay, so real quick, uh, when did SAP acquire Qualtrics? Uh, earlier this year, like February. So in February, since February to now, which is June, has your job or your workplace environment changed since the acquisition? Mm, not as much as you would think, honestly. Like there has been, SAP has been very clear about wanting to leave Qualtrics to do what Qualtrics does, right? They bought us uh, because they believe in what we're building and experience management as a space and how we're, our approach to it uh, can, can benefit business and especially their line of business where they own kind of the back office operational control over most large organizations, right? They're massive. Uh, and so they want to incorporate experience management into everything that they're, that they're building on the back end so that they own kind of end to end, like, how a company operates and then how people interact with how that company operates and how you take that feedback and incorporate it into better operations, right? Yeah. Uh, but our growth goals have stayed the same. Our team structure has relatively stayed the same. Uh, we've had to, some people have left, so we had to shuffle a little bit, but um, like it's been pretty much business as usual. Uh, every now and again, I have to do some like reporting because SAP wants to know something, but otherwise it's pretty hands off. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so uh, as we list your job experience, you started at Overstock, you went to some company I don't remember, then you went to 1-800-CONTACTS, then you went to Blendtec, all of which are B2C. Yeah, the company that you don't remember was actually, it was a B2B uh, SaaS company, but I was on the B2C side of like their services and okay. product side. Okay, so, so it was mostly B2C. Okay, so B2C, 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 B2B. Yep. Let's talk about that transition. First of all, do you have a preference for one over the other? Kind of depends on my mood. Um, <laughs> what mood are you in right now? Yeah, like if I am like in like data optimization and like spreadsheet mode mood, right? Like where I'm like trying to make like things work and get to like a great ROI, like B2C is awesome. Yeah. Especially e-commerce, right? Because like money comes in and money goes out and money versus money is really easy to measure. Yeah. Um, 
B2B, there's a lot more opinions and a lot less like data, basically. There's a lot of data. It's just really messy and really impossible to sift through. Um, so like, I don't know that I have specifically a preference. Uh, certain jobs are a lot easier and more fulfilling in like a B2C space. Things like paid media are way easier because uh, you know when you're winning and you know when you're losing in a B2C environment. Um, also, the budgets tend to be bigger, right? Because the keyword yeah. volume is larger and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but things like content and uh, kind of the website and stuff like that, like web design and web like website management and stuff like that is a little bit more interesting in the B2B side because you just have like different use cases. Now, I come from exclusive, like there's a lot of B2C that's not e-commerce and my background has been pretty much exclusively e-commerce. Yeah. So that's like i'm comparing b2b versus e-commerce more than anything else but like an e-commerce like you have templates and you have like the structure and the hierarchy of the site but like the product page is the product page right the template supports everything you don't get to you don't get to fiddle with that and change it around and, and if you're going to test that's fine and you can change that template but then that has to trickle down to all the use cases for your products things like that like in b2b we can just try things we can build content about a thing and it makes sense because it is explaining a use case or a feature and things like that. You can't do that in e-commerce because there are no use cases and features, right? Anything, any content you're going to build generally tends to be pretty thin uh, for e-commerce. So like content marketing is more interesting uh, in B2B, um, but the data is a lot harder. It's just really hard to know when you're winning and losing. Yeah, that makes sense. Does five, so five for the fight is like a big campaign that Qualtrics says with the jazz, their name isn't on it much but everyone knows Qualtrics is behind it. Yep. Do you see from a digital standpoint, any sort of like elevation of the Qualtrics brand or even sales? Like, do you see the, like Five for the Fight has its own website. You don't oversee that. I do oversee the website because my team builds it. Okay. Uh, so we have an internal team that focuses on our philanthropic efforts, which are primarily Five for the Fight. Uh, it is separate from Qualtrics in that, uh, like their program and their goals have nothing to do with Qualtrics's program and goals. Like they didn't create it with the purpose of trying to get more business for Qualtrics. Yeah, one hundred percent, they did not. Yeah, uh, they created it because Ryan Smith and his family have have a history with cancer, and mm -hmm. they have very strong feelings about about eradicating cancer. And part of the reason he is as successful as he is is because he wants to turn that success into more ammunition in the fight against cancer. Yeah. So it. they started five for the fight. Uh, in order to build basically our own charity in order to, uh, you know, aid in that effort, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, the work with their jazz, um, like, I mean, we're marketers here. That's good marketing, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, putting like a philanthropic thing on there. That's good marketing. But honestly, that's like the fight for the fight sponsorship came from the fight for the fight organization, not from Qualtrics. And so Qualtrics is, is involved, right? And funds fight for the fight primarily, but that's really a separate entity. I work with that team to when they, when they want to do web updates and when they want to do other programs and things like that, I work with that team to enable that, but it's basically our spare time that we throw, throw at that as, and we all want to do it. Right. Cause it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat program. Um, there's a, there's a lot of good that they've been able to do. Uh, Qualtrics, like all of the employees have like an employee match fight for the fight donation. So the company is, and we're actually working with other companies, uh, local here in Utah, as well as other places to, that are donating to fight for the fight on behalf of their employees as we go and like building up that program. They've raised a lot of money, uh, put directly against, uh, funding cancer research. It's pretty great. Interesting. Yeah, that is, I was curious cause I can notice the Qualtrics logos at the top of the website. It links. Oh, I wasn't sure if like you knew like, Oh, we got a significant amount of traffic that 
goes to the Qualtrics website from this campaign. No, it's, I mean, like the fight for the fight is pretty small still, like to, to continue to grow. Like it's smaller than Qualtrics. I wouldn't, like the links from there wouldn't, wouldn't r register on my radar, but that's also not the purpose of it. Yeah. Like we put the brand there and we put a link because that's what you do when you put a logo for something, right? You yeah. put a link on it, but it has no, like we're not trying to drive traffic through fight for the fight for Qualtrics. Sure. Like we'll take the good feels, but we're trying to raise money to eradicate cancer with fight for the fight. That's what it's for. Yeah, stop accusing him of of being so shallow. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, no, I was curious. I wasn't saying that was the intention. I was just like curious. Like, even though there's campaigns that have good intentions, sometimes you can still notice a a traceable impact to the business. Um, on, yeah, on some campaigns, yeah. but it's it's really case, it's really a separate effort um, that the the organization overall feels very passionate about, but specifically the Smith family is very passionate about. So what? Uh, LinkedIn has been something that's been on my mind a lot with B2B. Do you spend, it seems like that's like the place to be, yeah. B2B. Is that's that where LinkedIn, or is that where not LinkedIn, is that where Qualtrics hangs out the most? Uh, not the most because Google, mm. but, uh, but we do spend a significant amount of time. Like if you're going to do like push marketing to specific profiles and things like that, like LinkedIn is a very great place to do that. So who on the team is responsible for doing LinkedIn? Like, first of all, how big is your team? Uh, I have, I'm in the middle of a, I'm literally in the middle of a little bit of a reorg. Uh, so by the end of the year, let me put it that way, I'll have about 14 people, uh, that are on my team that, that focus on, on the digital marketing channels. Um, but I have a number of open headcount right now. So some yeah. of those aren't filled yet. That makes sense. So do you have someone dedicated to LinkedIn? No, not yet. So you have someone kind of juggling who, who that, that person who's over LinkedIn, what else are they doing? Uh, they're doing all paid media right now, actually. So that's a big gig. Yep. Uh, are they good? Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, he is. His name's Justin Taysom. He's awesome. Justin Taysom. Shout out. Let me make a note. Yeah, you can't have him. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you paying him enough? I hope so. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, so if you were to dist if you were to create this ratio of how much time he spends on LinkedIn, how much would it be? Um. Honestly, we're not as invested in LinkedIn as, as we want to be. We actually have an open headcount for paid social specifically right now in order to invest more. And mo the majority of that will be LinkedIn. There'll be some Facebook and a handful of Twitter and things like that, but it'll be majority LinkedIn. And how much of it is outsourced? Do you ever outsource this stuff? Uh, sometimes. Uh, we have an agency that we work with on, on various search and some paid social efforts, but most of the LinkedIn, like honestly, the hard part about LinkedIn is it's mostly content that you're promoting there. And content requires like internal wrangling of resources and teams and creative and things like that. And that is the hard part. And so that mm -hmm. internal work, you can't outsource that. So it's, it's hard to get like, oh, well, somebody wrote an ebook that's neat. Well, we also need like ads to go with that ebook and we need to, you know, work that yeah. through our creative and branding department, things like that. So, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned the content. This is kind of where I wanted to go, uh, as far as what is working or what you're currently doing on LinkedIn, you mentioned content. What does that look like? Um, so it kind of depends. Uh, we go through, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, some different phases. Uh, we do a lot of events and like webinars and things like that. And so often the content we're promoting are either physical event or, uh, digital events is what we call it, but that's primarily webinars. Now yeah. we take a different approach to webinars. They tend to be a bit bigger. Uh, the last webinar, like we have a number of like one-off webinars about various topics, but we also will do like webinar series. Um, so like right now we're doing one that is called the customer experience master sessions, the Qualtrics master sessions for customer experience, actually, which is a, I think an eight 
webinar series about kind of best practices across CX. And we have like big name speakers, uh, like Jay Bear, for example, is one of our speakers. Mm -hmm. um, the previous one we did was about product, uh, product innovations. Uh, and that was about a year ago. Um, actually, about half a year, well, three fourths of a year ago. Uh, it was hosted by Nira Yal, author of Hooked, and like it was like a ten a ten episode series, of primarily webinars, but like a bit bigger. And we promote those for like ten weeks at a time and get many thousands of people to attend those. Right. So like we do large events like that, and LinkedIn is a great place to get like useful top of funnel content in front totally. of people. Really works really well. What kind of physical events are you doing? So every year we run X Four. Yep. Which is our uh, experience management summit. It is very large and we promote the heck out of it. Uh, and LinkedIn is one of the primary outposts we use to promote that. Um, yeah, this must have been your big, it gets bigger every year, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, we had, I'm trying to think of what the number was. I think we had 11,000 people there this last year. Uh, next year, it'll probably look more like 16. That's insane. Um, how, do you, so how, we'll, do you, how do you beat the speaker lineup from this year? I don't know. Uh, last year, this yeah, this year I guess we had Oprah Winfrey, and uh, Barack, Barack Obama, Obama and Richard Branson, and I have no idea how they're going to beat that. Yeah, Luckily, I, that is I, not my there, job. <laughs> yeah, so that's very, are there people bigger than that? I really don't think there are. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you could get Bill Gates probably, or as far as like wealth, you could probably find some. I mean, there are wealthier people than that. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if there are more, more well-known people than that. Yeah, that's true. I, got, I don't know, like, but uh, the event is pretty awesome, um, and we promote that until it sells out pretty much. Um, so that'll run, usually that promotion schedule runs from October until we sell out, uh, which this year happened in January. Yeah, you sold out pretty fast. Yeah, it happened really fast. Um, and we'll also do like local events in various cities. We do uh, like forums and experience management things uh, in various large cities with kind of our more tailored clientele, and sometimes we'll promote those on LinkedIn as well. But primarily it's uh, the larger events that we push. Um, it's a worth noting as well that like our X4, we have a big one here in, in Utah, but we also have what we call X4 on tour. So there's like seven other X4s that happen in different cities around the world. And I think they're I didn't know that. about to do Singapore. And I think that's our final one for the year. Uh, but we've done like Milan and Paris, Amsterdam. Dang, Munich, that's crazy. 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 That's crazy. That's crazy even. <laughs> that's crazy. So like it's, it's a lot of pushing across the globe for those big events in order to get the... So when those big events happen... You, are, your team is the one pushing the LinkedIn stuff. Uh, in Americas, yes. So and outside of the north, outside of North America, like the Milans and the Amsterdam. Yeah, we have we have like we that. have a digital yeah. team in EMEA, uh, is located Where? in in Europe. Sorry. Uh, EMEA. What'd you say? EMEA. What's that? Where's that? E M E A is the acronym is the cheesy business oh. acronym for Europe, Middle East, and I thought, Africa. <laughs> I thought it was some weird city somewhere. <laughs> yeah, sorry, in Europe. Okay, in Europe. Um, and we also have a, uh, a team in Australia. And so they promote for their local regions uh, for their events there. And do they have big European names? Uh, yes, although those are smaller events. They yeah. like uh, they don't charge, actually, to attend. So that it's mostly a lead generation effort out there. Um, but uh, they do get big names. That's cool. So you're over the digital marketing of North America, is that right? And South, actually, but yeah. So like an S like Lots SEO of South America business. Don't forget Brazil man's huge. So like SEO, like your other teams that are in other countries, are there, uh, is there like a separate SEO efforts going on there? Like how do you not step on each other's toes? Uh, so we coordinate really well. Uh, and the separate SEO efforts, usually there's like when, when you're a, a U.S. centric company, there's a, a little bit of drafting that happens by the other regions, right? Yeah. Where they take the work that we do and kind of, and, 
take it iterate on it for their region and mm -hmm. kind of roll it out afterwards so there's some of that that goes on but there's also some in country and uh, in region optimization and efforts that they do there they build their own content that is appropriate for their region and in the right language um, but we are they uh, publishing it or do they send it to you and you guys publish uh, we have built the system that allows them to publish it themselves so but it's all on the Qualtrics sub, uh, domain yes we do everything on Qualtrics.com slash stuff I gotcha okay interesting yeah I was wondering if like they do that crappy work and like start building shady links or something like that and Luckily, link now, building, it doesn't really fall to any, like nobody really has to do that at Qualtrics. Uh, yeah, and that was my next question because you, you hinted SEO is pretty big. Yeah, it's very big. So but so what does that look like, like those efforts? It's Not mostly a lot content. Of link, mostly content. So yeah. just building and optimizing There's, for... So the company is con like... I mean, Qualtrics has not sat still for the past several years, right? So there's been a lot of information architecture changes as our, as our products have changed and, and developed. And with that comes new use cases that need pages built and, and things optimized for, right? And, and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of just building. We're, we're always trying to catch up to what our product can do with our marketing. Uh, so there's a lot of building for those use cases, building out content, and then those will usually, you know, roll those out to the English speaking countries in, in across the world uh, first. And then after that, t translate the appropriate ones for the right regions and, and roll those out as well. Um, we don't do link building very much. Uh, honestly, it'll probably start needing to happen again in the future, but like Qualtrics, by nature of being so heavily tied to academic institutions and research, we have a lot of links from a lot of EDUs and a lot yeah. of governments already. So that sounds very close to a brag. <laughs> I don't have to worry too much about building links. We have domain authority. Let me just put it that way. Like the authority is there. <laughs> I didn't do anything. For, I didn't personally do anything about it. I inherited that when I got there. It's very nice. Oh uh, man. Link building is literally the worst thing ever. Yeah, it's, it's the worst. Uh, so what, what's the number one keyword you guys try to, try to, that was capture? my next keyword. What's like the money keyword for you guys, uh, to rank for, or, well, let, let's start like there because, because is it different in paid? Like, are you targeting different keywords in paid? Let me put it this way. Like, like the number one keyword that gets people to like Qualtrics is probably survey. Just survey by itself. Yeah, there's variations. Like, I'm Which, not going to get into the details, yeah, obviously, yeah. but like, but some like survey and that that class of keywords, survey keywords, are the big one. The problem is, is that Qualtrics has pivoted the organization away from being a simple survey software. Yeah, like survey software is just the very, very basic understanding of what Qualtrics' software enables you to do. So we are constantly building out uh, the other areas. And so like employee experience and customer experience and experience management overall, which doesn't have as much volume yet, uh, is where we spend the most time kind of optimizing for because we are skating to where the puck is going, so to speak. So how do you capture intent though? Because a lot of these keywords are, are, mean so many different things. Yeah, it's a real problem actually because there's actually a class of human beings, and I don't know who they are, I've never <laughs> met them, that take surveys online in order to get coupons and money. I don't know who these people are, but they fill out our forms all the time thinking they're going to get a free Big Mac. And it's a real problem because we have to call these people because they're requesting a demo of enterprise survey software and feedback management software. And we have to call them and find out that actually they were just trying to get a coupon for Long John Silvers or whatever. It's, a, it's ridiculous, but Dude, it is a my, real my wife does that. She, well, it's been a long time, but she used to, I think it was a Forrester thing, but she had like this... Um, it was like a debit card, but they would just like reload it with dollars if she took surveys. So she would take surveys and she'd have to take so many surveys to get like cents, you know? 
So she'd have like three dollars, and she'd be like, "Oh, I can go get my my big gulp now." Uh, so yeah, I've I married one of those people. Okay, it's, well, it's been a little while. Should I think, bring her to the office. I'd I, like to ha- ask her a couple of questions I, about what the heck uh, is going on here. That was early in our marriage when uh, we were still um, really poor. I mean, people got to do what they got to do. I get that. Yeah. But like, could you read the page that you're on before filling out the form? Because because we say the word Disney on the page and have that logo does not mean you're getting coupons to Disney. That it means that so Disney awesome. is a customer that is so of ours. Cool. That is so cool. Like, <laughs> that's so, what that means. Read the words. Um, <laughs> have you ever? Tell me if this has ever happened. I think I, so on our display channels every once in a while we'll partner with a, uh, I don't, they're a partner I don't know they do display and uh, and we pay them to distribute our ads on their networks but then every once in a while we'll get people calling our, our uh, customer care team wanting points because our ad showed up in some app some game app like you know like Candy Crush where, where it said you know something like click here and claim your fake coins for that game that you're playing to build that you played clash of clans right i used to yeah and there were probably things you could do to earn more money yeah and if you didn't get it you were you you were calling people up saying hey where are my coins yep so we'd get people to do have you ever run into anything like that uh early in my career when i was at overstock we did uh i oversaw a program called lead generation which was basically the purchasing of email addresses which looked a lot like that uh, that industry is called co-reg, co-registration. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, uh, it's still big. It's a big deal. Uh, not so much at the B two B side of things. Like yeah. there's content syndication, which bumps into that real fast, right? Like, and so you're paying other people to distribute your content and, and getting the list. Um, and a lot of times we'll call those people, and they're like, "Who are you? I never downloaded your ebook uh, or whatever." And so there's some, there's still a little bit of the shady practice, but it's mostly B two C. Especially real when you're, shenanigans. Yeah, when you're paying them per lead, and they're just like. They'll do anything to get that click yeah, they don't care. or that phone call. So they're, yeah, that's what it is. We're paying them per lead or something. And then if, if they call, that's considered a lead. We pay them, but they're calling for their coins and not for they have to take a some home security action system. In order to get their coupon inside their yeah, app it's, or whatever. Dude, it's, it's messed it's up. Anyway, so yeah, we shut those down pretty fast. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to that survey. So you, so survey related questions are your biggest I mean, that's probably keywords. the biggest volume. Biggest volume. Yeah, so what about what about the ones that capture the, the highest quality leads? Um, honestly, things around uh, things around running a program, so like customer experience program and like employee engagement programs, people who are trying to solve problems, those are the ones that capture leads that are at the right place because all of our paid efforts, for example, yeah, uh, fall into like a kind of bottom of the funnel uh, approach. Like most, they all lead to kind of a request demo and so, and so from a paid channel perspective, like people who are looking to solve an immediate problem, those turn into opportunities better than anything else. On the SEO side though, we have a lot of like survey templates and people who are like early in the process of like figuring things out and solving problems. Uh, those are really like helpful content, ranks really well and does really well. And so a higher funnel like net promoter score, people who are trying to understand their net promoter score, that's primarily a survey driven, a simple survey driven effort but people who are doing that are trying to improve their customer experience. And so like that's usually the beginning of those lead to good pipeline down the road. It just takes a little bit of time to get them there. So is request a demo your, your main CTA? Um, it splits around, uh, uh, it splits a dif- uh, depending, depending on where on you channel. are on the website and okay. depending on the channel. Uh, we have a free account as well. Uh, we don't monetize that as well as we should. So uh, those, those, while they convert better, tend to, tend to not turn into as, as much direct pipeline as yeah, a yeah, request yeah. demo. But 
like it, requesting a demo gets them in front of our sales team and the Qualtrics sales team is world class. Like it is very difficult to find a better sales team. They are amazing. So like if we can get our salespeople on the phone with them to, to, to talk them through kind of the solutions and things like that, if they're really in market, like we'll, we'll close a large percentage. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. So what, that's interesting to me that your SEO keywords and your paid keywords are, I'm sure there's a ton of overlap, but as far as where the focus is, it's, it's different. Yeah, I mean, the long and short of it is that it's really difficult to measure top of funnel. Like if I'm gonna spend money on driving top of funnel traffic to the Qualtrics website, it's gonna be a long time before I understand if that's worked. And there's, in B2B, like there's an attribution model at play when you're bringing traffic into the website, right? What channels they touched and how many touches and things like that. But once you're, once you filled out that form, there's also attribution models internally on whether or not sales has talked to them already or what account they're part of and how many people from that account have filled out forms and things like that. So it gets really complicated and really hard to measure. And so in order to continue to grow the program, we have to show the return and so that we index like every marketer does on where you can show the return. Mm -hmm. And in the paid channels, you can show the return the best at the bottom of the funnel. On organic, because we're not spending any money, uh, it's a longer burn. We can invest more highly. And frankly, I would want to anyway, right? You can invest more highly in that top of the funnel traffic and bring that those people in for free and ideally convert them down the road. Hmm. No, I like that. When you came from, so you came from that consumer background, Blendtec, 1-800-CONTACTS, when you got to Qualtrics, what were the mistakes that you saw yourself make? Like like ideas or things that were working before that you thought were going to work, like transition smoothly to Qualtrics that, that just flopped? Oh, man. I had no idea how bad B2B data tracking and the systems like Marketo and Salesforce and like tying those things together and getting like actual like Google Analytics data to tie from one to the other to the other. I had no idea how bad that was. I literally have been working on it for three years. <laughs> uh, we now have like e-commerce companies are spoiled because generally the system that the digital marketers use to manage their day-to-day -day is also the system of record. It mm. says how much money they make. The systems we use, like Google Analytics is never a B2B company system of record. Ever. Yeah. There's too much movement of numbers and the numbers change after the fact and pipeline is a made up number. People make that number up. That's nonsense, right? So like <laughs> the numbers shift under your feet and like getting GA data through something like a Marketo and having it go into Salesforce. And it like, it seems relatively straightforward. If you start to unpack that, you find all sorts of places where that breaks. I'll give you a great example. I don't know about HubSpot cause I've never played with it, but I've looked at all of the kind of enterprise marketing automation tools. None of those tools will pass UTM values like track, tracking values through the form, unless that value is in the URL that they fill out the form on. So if you come to the website with tracking values from paid search and you navigate to a different page, even though that data is cookied and tracked by the marketing automation tool, they will not pass it through the form. And at that point, it's very difficult to get it through to Salesforce in a place that you can track it. And most people track that in Salesforce on like a field that is constantly overwritten every time someone comes back to the website. And so in order to understand anyone's journey, like you have no way of understanding anyone's journey from a like Salesforce campaign perspective to a channel we operated on and what brought them to the website perspective. It's like almost impossible. We've had to build so much custom piping. There's a company uh, called Visible that Marketo recently bought that did this. Mm -hmm. Like you had to spend an exorbitant amount of money on a completely third-party tracking system 
that then Marketo ended up buying and didn't integrate well, and then Adobe bought Marketo, and who knows what's going on now, right? So like, <laughs> it's all a mess. But like, it's just it's a nightmare. And so like most B two B marketers, like most of the most of the tracking that B two B marketers do is like custom tracking where they're like, I created a program that says that looks at the URL. And if someone came in with LinkedIn and the URL, then it runs through this other program I also created and puts them in a different Salesforce campaign. And that's how I track it. Like, I don't have the time to do that kind of work at scale and like understand, like not knowing that there wasn't just systems you could plug into and pass data through like every e-commerce company has kind of out of the box is, is terrifying. Hmm. Like for the first, for the first year or so, like I tried many, many different ways of trying to fix this problem that all just ran into like roadblocks and failed and required like data engineers to get involved. And the fact that I had to get data engineers involved was just really sad. It is. So if you could go back in time three years, what would you tell yourself? Um, I would tell myself to, number one, I would tell myself to spend probably a third of my time making sure that the, the piping was right so that I could get the data in right. But I would also tell myself not to get slowed down by the fact that the piping is wrong. Because the other, the thing that is nice about B2B, especially SaaS, is that our margins are basically infinite, yeah. right? Like that's the thing. Like if we can make money, if we can break even over a year, we can make money over, uh, over two years and forever, right? Like, and so, and that's just on what you can attribute even with garbage data, right? Like, so the, the fact is, is that if you're in a high growth company, you can't get slowed down by the fact that your data is garbage and that nothing is working and that you might have to just manually move data once a day. Like you can't get slowed down by that stuff. You just gotta power through it. And I had never worked in an environment that was as high growth as Qualtrics before. And so like learning that like took a minute. Um, you know, I'm used to like e-commerce it's systems and stuff and it grows at 10%. It's neat, right? Like that's great. But like, like 50% growth is a different environment altogether. And it's also different. It's like, it's not 50% growth when it's like a $10 million company, right? Like this is 50% growth and lots of money happening. And mm -hmm. so like, there's like, you've got to push hard to maintain that growth and you can't let the systems that are broken and the, like all digital marketers love to optimize things, right? We love to make stuff work and we love to see the numbers look and you just can't be slowed down by that. You have to mm. push forward anyway and like optimizing your spare time because the number one thing that's important is growth. Makes sense. So at what point, cause like I, like I, I'm having a hard time accepting part of that. And that is what good is growth if you can't attribute it to what, money is paying for it in other words 100 yeah okay that, so that you tension okay. is real right so like you should be able to the best of your ability to show the fruits of your efforts and to defend your efforts so that you can do more of those efforts right you need to get more budget you need to continue to push the way we like to do that as digital marketers is typically it's like i spent this money here's my direct tracked attribution that's right my yeah, model yeah. and blah 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 and the fact is is that most of that is too detailed for most b2b systems at least big B2B systems. And maybe that maybe that's inherits. it. I, I'm not I'm not super familiar with B2B, uh, but in B2C, uh, at least at Vivint, it's like we've we've had attribution errors, and and if if something's get a, getting attributed to direct entry when it should be getting uh, attributed to national search, it's like a big deal, right? It's like because because ultimately what it means is that national search is down. Right? Yeah, I get that. So, 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 and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a Qualtrics thing. Maybe it's a B2B thing where it's like, if you can get close enough to say, yes, this is, this is my impact and, and everybody 
has an acceptance level that, okay, it's okay to have some fluff data, which probably exists everywhere. I, I, that, I guess that would be my question. Is this a Qualtrics thing? Is this a B2B thing? Let me, maybe, maybe frame it in another way. So in B2B, you have leading indicators and you have lagging indicators, yeah. right? So our deal cycle for our customer experience product line is long, like more than 100 days long, right? So if for me to know if I'm winning there, it takes half a year. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but I can't wait half a year to continue to push. Like every week I have to be pushing to improve and to push harder. So you're growth. more looking at the lead indicators. We have no choice yeah, because yeah, yeah. we're growing fast and the data takes time, right? And so the lagging indicators show us that we are uh, doing things right uh, after the fact, and that's great. But you have to look at like early indicators, like how many people fill out the forms and how much did it cost to get them there? That's easy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like how many opportunities ideally attributed to that money that cost like that that's harder uh doable but harder and then when it gets into like pipeline and whether or not sales gets credit versus marketing gets credit that's where things get really messy and so like you just have to you have to at a certain point uh you have to trust that you are make you're doing the right things and continue to push as long as it continues to look like it's working based on the leading indicators and then the lagging indicators tell you if you're off and you have to adjust but by that point you're months down the road yeah right so still helpful because it's a rolling period so you're, you're i mean you're getting lagging details today from six months ago or yes. however long it is so i mean I, I can see how that would be helpful it seems like it's more of a um <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> seems like instead of it being a direct to consumer or a uh excuse me a, a b2c or a b2b thing it's more of a um sales cycle thing yeah, it's sales cycle and complexity yeah yeah because there are b2c companies that have long sales cycles where you'd probably have to do the exact same thing yep. uh depending on how long it is in fact at vivant we, i mean we get the sale same day but sometimes the install comes seven seven days later so we have that we have that lagging type period it's not a hundred days but uh we're looking at sales instead of installs because installs first of all we only install 70 percent of the sales we would get 70, 75%. So, so I, I, that makes perfect sense. I'm, I appreciate you clarifying that. Brandon, did you have anything else where we've got a few minutes before we go into, um, roulette, yeah, I was, but I was curious what your, uh, I don't know what you call it. Your marketing tech stack looks like, like what are the softwares that you and your team use to kind of manage the different marketing efforts that you all do? Um, I mean, that's, there's a lot of mm -hmm. various things. Salesforce Marketo, it sounds yeah, like. Salesforce Marketo, our website's built on WordPress, uh, an extraordinarily custom. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. That, number that of actually, that actually does blow my mind a little bit. Uh, honestly, like there's a, there, we will probably get to a time where we have outgrown that, but like you get the right developers in the room and you can make WordPress do some pretty neat things. Oh yeah. Um, but again, we have a lot of custom layers on top of that. We're basically using WordPress as the backend CMS to a custom front end that we have built entirely. Yeah. Um, but WordPress helps us do a lot. Um, a number of custom tools, uh, right now we use Optimizely for our CRO. Hmm. Uh, we're looking at Optimize 360, um, because price. Uh, like you're looking to move away from Optimizely? Yeah. Like we, I, we just moved to Optimizely. I love, I love Optimizely, but at a, once you're getting into personalization at scale, like the cost gets... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the cost. My team doesn't handle that, but we just moved from uh, test and target. 
oh, well, then you're definitely going down in cost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if yeah, you're going from an Adobe product, that's we're right. definitely going down in cost. Yeah, Have you done so, stuff so. with Google Optimize, or is that way too Well, that's, that's basically basic. what we're, 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 we use Google Analytics 360 as our analytics uh, platform. Okay. Two years ago, we weren't on 360 yet, but we migrated since that time. That's true. So did we. We were on uh, Adobe. Version. Oh, you were on Adobe Well, too. we've had the free version for a long right. time, yeah, Who but we were, right? we were using Adobe uh Analytics. Like, at what point do you need to move, like, upgrade from the free analytics to the paid? Uh, when everything's sampled. That's what the point is. Interesting. It's like, is there a number they cap it at? Like, once your uh, traffic hits. Yeah, actually, there is, like, I, I can't remember the page views, like 10 million or something. So we're, we're on Analytics 360, but I think sometimes it still samples. Is it not supposed yeah, to? It, it still samples in, the, like, the interface, but you can say, like, run the report and give it to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're looking at Optimize 360, which is the which is uh, a Google right Suite version. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty good software. It integrates really well, as you might imagine, with like Tag Manager, which we use part mm-hmm. of the stack, yep. uh, and Analytics better than Optimizely does. Um, we're implementing Sixth Sense right now for personalization uh, for uh, ABM purposes. Um, we use Hotjar for some heat mapping. Uh, we use the Qualtrics platform for all of our feedback and surveys on our website, which we do a lot of, as you might imagine. <laughs> Site Intercept. Site Intercept. It's actually not called that anymore because oh, we yeah. pivoted away from like those individual products. What is it called now? It's just part of the Qualtrics platform. Oh. It's part of our customer experience platform. Okay. Do you do much? That makes with it sound the, more, more it, complicated. It is more complicated, but that's it's it's a feature now, not a product. If that makes oh, sense. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I never heard of Sixth Sense. This is interesting. I'll have to look into yeah, this. Yeah, it's super B two B, but basically it allows us to identify who someone is and personalize the website to that person. Hmm. Uh, so from on, from an SEO standpoint, are you on Ahrefs? Uh, yes, we use Ahrefs. Majestic. No, we don't use Moz. Majestic. Uh, nope. We've had Moz for years. I don't know why we never we never are in there. What about like uh, use SEO monitor as well? Uh, is, is that crawl. is that your uh, rank track, tracking software? Uh, yeah. Which sorry, which one? SEO monitor. Oh, SEO monitor. Have you heard of Linkdex? No. So you've heard of Stat? Yeah. So we were on Stat for a long time, and then we switched to Linkdex because I don't know someone wanted it, and it's actually pretty cool. Linkdex is pretty cool. So use both SEO monitor and Ahrefs. They do different things. And um, what about landing pages? Like for your for your PPC ads, are you just doing custom pages on the WordPress site, or do you use like a software? We like have Insta used page? like, like Insta page. We've used Unbounce before. Unbounce, uh, yeah. Uh, but frankly, that's harder to do than just building my own template. I oversee our web development team, so like if I need something built, it's pretty simple to get that done. <laughs> so like I just I want say that. build it, yeah, want... and, they, and they do that for me. So like we. So so your web development team is not on uh, in IT. They, so it's complicated. They work for engineering, but I manage their work. So is, is, do you consider that like a dotted line? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. like I do sprint planning with them and I'm actually starting to like, this is starting to shift to some people on my team because I don't, I don't do it personally anymore as much, but uh, we oversee their sprints and we plan and prioritize their sprints and enable them to get the work done, serve as a barrier for people asking for junk to make sure that the junk is appropriate to be yeah, asked yeah, yeah. for, right? Being a filter is very important. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're part of engineering, but they do work for us. So the one thing I, I'm making an assumption, but I think it's pretty safe. Uh, at Vivint, we have three main arms. We have direct to home retail and national inside sales, the digital marketing team, the only digital marketing team on the entire, in the entire company services, national inside sales. Hmm. So, so direct to home and retail don't have digital marketing teams. So when, when they when they have needs, they come and just try to bombard us, even though their sales are never attributed to us, no matter how much work we put into it. 
that's not the case of Qualtrics, right? Like you have one digital marketing team that's over the whole company. And in fact, you're also, it sounds like doing a lot of the fight for the fight. And there, there are probably other properties that you guys manage. Um, I guess all that just to say, I'm envious. Like you're we don't even, we don't, there's one team that services we don't even company? report to the CMO at Vivint. That doesn't make any sense. Are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> Nate I, Randall. I don't think he's listening. <laughs> no, I don't think he is either. <laughs> I'm going to email him this episode. Yeah. Um, anyway. No, we, so yeah, I'm envious. We, it's possible. Like, so we are horizontal where there are verticals within our organization, right? Verticals by product line and things like that. That's possible because there are other parts of marketing that are product line aligned. Yeah. Right. So there are people that work specifically in the CX program and work on CX campaigns and work on the CX pipeline number and so on. And then they work with us. They are customers of us, just like five for the fight is a customer of ours. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're kind of you're kind of act as like an internal agency. Yes. Okay. Okay, Brandon. Yeah, we need to move on to uh, digital marketing roulette. So, oh boy! I was Rick. excited to see the roulette table. Oh yeah. Pull, go ahead and pull it out, yeah, Brandon. Let me pull that out. Uh, nice. <laughs> there it is. Bigger than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Smells of rich mahogany. Uh, <laughs> Rick. We bought it from a casino closed down years ago. We got it on eBay. <laughs> Oh, uh, if AJ Wilcox is it. listening, he'll love he'll love this conversation. <laughs> um, okay, so again, for for those of you who may not have uh, heard about digital marketing roulette in the past, Brandon has the ball. He's gonna he's gonna roll it. There are thirty something numbers on the table, and we have corresponding questions for each number. Whatever number it lands on, Brandon will ask the question that corresponds with that number. These are fun questions. Uh, remember what I said last week. I want these to be more personal. Oh, you tell me this now? No, I told you on the show last week. I thought that was last week. You wanted more personal. No, on the show last week. I, I said, lined not up this more. Okay. I lined up a more professional okay. uh, one. But let me see if I can switch the questions around while I ask this one professional one. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. That was number eight, by the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If you could uh, only go to one marketing conference a year, what would it be and why? First of all, words, how many do you go to? Almost none, honestly, at this point on time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so which one? You made if it you were sound forced, like if you were this forced is the to guy go, you always look for the conference. No, I go to local events because I local can. local events. Yeah, that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at all the SLC. Well, it's okay, not that, the DMCs and. Uh, is there a conference you have your eye on, like? You can just pick one. You want to go to it. It sounds like someone. If someone put a gun to your head and said you have to go to this conference, what would it be? Um, honestly, if it came down to just like personal preference, I'd probably go to PubCon because I, I I like the people that go to PubCon. Where like is PubCon held? Usually in Vegas. Uh, there's that Pub sounds Cons like in a other Vegas places, conference. But, like, but PubCon Webmaster Worlds Publishers Conference is what it used to be called, or whatever. But it's a really cheap and really good, scrappy, like man on the ground kind of digital marketing event where people talk about tactics at a great level uh it's really a lot of really good networking but when um, it, when is it usually it's in fall like october november i'm gonna go it's a pretty good show uh, so i've never been to PubCon. it's not super polished like some of the other shows like it's not the quality you might expect from you know like an adobe summit or something like that it's because it's a like a industry event or whatever but uh it's also really cheap to go to um, I've enjoyed uh, things like SMX in the past that are a little bit more search marketing focused, yeah. but I honestly don't know. I haven't in my in my more expanded role. I don't know that there's a wonderful place, a wonderful conference for me to go to that is like appropriate. And so um, I end up going to like I used I would go to the Marketo summits in order to kind of learn that side of the business because yeah. it's a good way to learn there. But those are now 
pulled into Adobe, uh, into their summit. Have you ever been to inbound? Uh, no. Uh, by the time I started looking at it, it was like 18,000 people and I'm just like, Oh, heavens no. No joke. I, uh, I've been two or three times. I can't stand it. I went to content marketing world once and I did not enjoy myself. So I can't imagine inbound would. Yeah. Happy. The, uh, what pissed me off is the last time I, not the last time, two times ago I went and every chance they got, they bragged about how many people were there. Yeah. And I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. 15, 20,000. I don't know. It was a ton. And they, they kept bragging. We have so many people, so many people, so many people. You couldn't even get into sessions. Yeah. So you had to like miss two sessions to get into a line to get into this one session and not even be guaranteed to get in. So I made a comment when inbound.org was a thing. And I remember Dharma Shah actually mm. responded to my comment, uh, apologizing for that. Cause it was just, it was just really, it was crappy. So I'm done with inbound. But when you say polished inbound is like so super, super polished. Yeah. I think, I think that companies events, right? Yeah. They don't have yeah. to make money. The HubSpot uh, events, yeah. all that stuff. Like yeah. our, our event is super polished, right? Yeah, like true. we don't have to make money on the event. That's true. So, so I think those are nicer, but like the industry events, you generally learn more. And like, I'm mostly there to meet with people and to talk to people directly more than I am for the sessions. Yeah. Um, PubCon's a great cheap place. I'm going to try PubCon. I'm going to try that. I'm going to MozCon in July. I've I got, went once. It was all right. Yeah. I like MozCon a lot. It's again, it's more, it's more search yeah. focused. It, it, they do kind of expand a little bit. Uh, but I've gone every year for three or four years and I, I like, I like MozCon. Brandon. Let me get that ball rolling. While the ball's rolling, tell us what conference. You don't go to any conferences. I know. Well, that's kind of why I ask. I like looking for a good. You should go to MozCon, to go to. dude. We'll hang. I need to go to MozCon. I've heard good things. Will you go? Your team, you sh- or there's a team that goes from 97th floor every year. Yeah, I don't know if I'm one of those teams. I don't know. Don't know how it works. What do you mean? <laughs> like, you, you, Pretty sure that's how it works. You're an SVP <laughs> over there now, man. You <laughs> can do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I'll go the next round. Next round's next month. Wait, MozCon's next month? Next month. Oh, wow. I got to really look into this. July now. 15th through the 17th. You should go. We'll gotta talk more about it Moz later. subscribers so I can get that discount. All right. <laughs> Question uh, number two. I went for the deep list. Really build, dig into Rick's character here. Oh, His character. That's what's in question. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one isn't a character one. <laughs> but you know, no, I soul. don't. <laughs> what? Would you rather be transported permanently a hundred years into the future or a hundred years into the past? I feel so. I've heard this question before. We need to change it to two hundred years because you go back a hundred years. See, the original, the one I grabbed is five hundred years. I feel like that's a bit extreme. Yeah, five hundred years is a bit extreme. Two hundred years is good though. Two hundred years. Is, you're in like the Wild West. Seventeen. Eighteen twenty. Yeah, you're in the Wild oh, yeah, West. Oh, yeah, yeah, 1819? Yeah, 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 you're right. 1819. Yeah, Wild West. Yeah, no. Uh, I'm, I'm going forward. <laughs> See, I'd rather live in the 20s. If it was like the, the roaring 20s. Like 1920? Yeah, or whatever, 100 years ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with the 20s. 1920s? Yeah, because I got the advantage of the knowledge. I guess like the biggest risk in going to the future is that like things should be probably better. Life should be better than it would be in like the 1920s or 1820s. But you're also risking the apocalypse. Yeah, but it could also be nothing. Yeah. Like, like we could, Korea could have just gone nuts and we could all, it could just be a wasteland. But I'd That's still true. rather go forward, I think. Not but you'd me, be like an idiot 
and like they're like this guy you're like you're like OJ getting out of jail. Hey, by the way, OJ Simpson has got a Twitter account. Do you honestly yeah. believe that you have the skills necessary to survive in the in the Wild West? <laughs> so because I not don't the Wild West. You have the skills. The Roaring Twenties. Do you okay? believe that you have the skills necessary to I'm survive in the Roaring Twenties? I'm going to New York City. <laughs> And so uh, stick it to I the require a calculator to do math. Okay, <laughs> so like I'm just saying, <laughs> that's a thing back then. They didn't use math. <laughs> that's what's so great about it. I would go back to the 1820s. Okay. I would love to be in the Wild West. Oh, man, I and like showers. I, I don't know. I like brushing my teeth. Yeah, I. So that's funny you say that. That's the one thing that I I I would have to like. I would invent the toothbrush. <laughs> You'd be that guy, huh? I would be the guy who invents the toothbrush because you're right. I would I would have to do that. But I like my fantasy is being a cowboy. It's because you played Red Redemption, Red, De- Red, Red Redemption, Dead. all day long. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you'd pick you'd pick a hundred or two hundred years in the future. Yeah, I'm a nerd. I like gadgets and stuff. It'd be neat. Yeah, that's true. It'd be cool. You'd be seeing all sorts of things you've never seen before. In the past, you see stuff that you have seen before and you don't want to see again. Right? Like, in the future, I see all sorts of new stuff. You know, I, here's another thing, though, is is I've thought about this. If, if I know ahead of time that I'm traveling in the past, let me ask you that, actually. That's the question, is if you knew, you have, you have one month, you have 30 days to prepare to go 200 years in the past, what do you study up on? Um, Take a minute. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Right. I'm going to learn how to make penicillin. Hmm. That's pretty... That's solid. <laughs> that's solid. You take penicillin because that's like... Yeah, you're a like, superstar. Not just a superstar, but that's like... that's. Well, first of all, I've also thought about this. Penicillin probably wouldn't work on me. If I, t- if I learn penicillin and I make it for them, it'll work on them. My immune system will not... I'll well, be honest, like based them. on the science, like no matter if you go 200 years forward or backwards, you're probably going to die from that's, disease. Yeah, either that's way. true. Like, that's like true. I mean, we're all dead. Either that's way, true. we're going to die. In the future, they might be able to save you, though. I'm just saying. Um, I Rick, would probably you've study, got something If I was there. going to the past, I'd probably study financial markets so that I could not have to invent penicillin and still be very well off. That's true, because I could invent penicillin and or then someone just, just steals my AT&T. idea. AT&T, yeah. <laughs> just be that guy. Uh, the Rockefellers, yeah. all, you know, the, the, and Benz, and yeah, the railroad. Right before the steel, railroad happens That's right, yep, you're right. Yeah, he, he, he read, uh, what is that book? Uh, Ayn Rand, John Galt. What's that book called? I don't know. Come on. Atlas Shrugged. Book Atlas Shrugged, that's right. Atlas Shrugged. That's all about that. That's what you do. You just read that book right before you go. Okay, we're out of time. Rick. Dude, you are... You're funny, man. You've got some <laughs> wit. Uh, I that. I've laughed a lot on this episode. So thank you, thank you for coming on. It's been it's been two and a half years, way too long. Uh, we'll probably we'll probably try to solicit you. That's uh, yeah. I'm hmm. gonna, uh, <laughs> I'm <gonna> hard pass. <laughs> I'm just gonna stop you there. <laughs> uh, anyway, all that just to say, I appreciate you coming on and, nice. and taking the time. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you listen on. Uh, feel free to reach out. Our in, our email is inbound at belowthefold.io. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. Peace out.